coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 21st of January, 2024. How do I deal with the bad things in my life? As I look at you today, I realize I'm looking at a group of people who have never suffered through problems. <laughs> and that's a lie. <laughs> This morning, we want to look at trials in our lives found in James, the first chapter. James, the first chapter. We saw in our opening remarks about the book of James, that James, the brother of Jesus, servant of, the, of God and servant of the Lord, was writing to the 12 tribes of the dispersia. In other words, he's writing to the Jews that don't live in the land, but are scattered through the, the world, primarily the Roman world, writing to them to encourage them in their faith. James' ministry <clears throat> was primarily to the Jews. Didn't mean that he didn't touch Gentiles. It's just that his focus was there. <clears throat> And he, he jumps into this topic right away. In James 1, 2, excuse me. <coughs> James 1, 2, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And immediately when we see this passage, we have a problem immediately because I don't know about you but when I am faced with trials my response isn't immediately to be joyful most of the time when we face trials they come upon us as he says of, of various kinds when they come upon us they catch us off guard because we're not expecting them we don't uh, don't see them coming oftentimes, whether it's a, a heat pump that goes out or a flat tire in our car or a battery is dead or we have some issue with a fellow worker that came up and it was caught us off guard. It can be a lot of things. Some sort of stress could be a physical ailment that we're diagnosed with as, as we were talking earlier. Could be some financial hardship that hit us. All sorts of things can bring those kind of stresses into our lives. So I want to begin by defining some terms. The word that is mentioned here when you meet all kinds of trials or various trials, has the idea of a hardship is a hardship that we would just as soon do without. It usually takes us out of our comfort zone. Thank you, Mike. But it's something that usually is unexpected, nothing planned. It happens to us. 
It'd be like going along and then hitting a pothole. That wasn't our intention to drive through a pothole. We just hit it. And there it is. We've got to deal with it. <clears throat> and nobody likes them. Nobody wants them. We would just as soon go on through our life with never having another trial in our life. No, no stress, no problems, no issues. We would just like to go on. But these trials come into our life. And as I said, they come in in various shapes and sundry sizes. And then we get to deal with them. And how we deal with them is the topic of James' message here to the believers that are spread through the Roman world. And he says, I want you to count it all joy. But we need to do some more definition here because the word that is used for trial is in other places used to describe a temptation. And you go, how can that be? Well, it's context. Context will give us the meaning of a word. And the other word that comes to mind is temptation. That is based on the same root, Greek word. A trial is a hardship that we encounter, but a temptation is something different. A temptation appears as a pleasure to be desired. In other words, there is something that's appealing to us. Now, if we have a flat tire, that's a trial because that's not appealing to us, okay? A temptation is a pleasure that appeals to us. It is something to be desired, which will always get us into trouble, okay? So there's a standard that the temptation is begging us to violate. We know that there will be consequences, but up front it uh, sounds like more pleasure and I can endure the consequences, so I'm gonna try. And so temptation is quite a different thing than a trial. Trial is something that we didn't dream up, but we encountered. A temptation is something that usually is crafted in our own heart and mind as we think of something that might be pleasurable to us. And if we participate in it, it always gets us into trouble. Now, obviously, when we talk about a temptation, the temptation that gets us into trouble is something that is contrary to God's word. So we're not tempted to do something that brings pleasure that is against God's word. That's not a temptation. But something that's against God's word, it is. A trial, rightly handled then, enhances our walk of faith. If we handle a trial in the right way, we're going to profit from having experienced this trial. Now, like I said, it's not something that we signed up for. We didn't sign up for a set of classes in Bible school or, or in, in college or anything like that. Say, I want a whole class of, of trials. No, we don't, we don't do that. 
but it's something that we encounter. A temptation, on the other hand, a pleasure that is desired, that's something we really want, but we know it's contrary to God's word, will always get us into trouble. And a temptation wrongly handled impairs our walk of faith and causes us to sin. Okay? So there's quite a contrast between a trial and a temptation. But I said that both of them came from the same word. So I want to tweak that a little bit and say, oftentimes a trial can be used by Satan to tempt us to sin. Now God desires us to pass the test. God desires for us to make it through the trial in the right way and it will enhance our faith walk. But Satan will use that same kind of situation to cause us to sin and therefore bring destruction. Probably the best example that we see in scripture is Job. We won't belabor the account there. But Satan comes and says, have you seen Job? It's only because you bless him that he keeps following you. And the Lord says, go ahead, put a trial on him. You know, bring about some destruction of his business. And, and so Satan does. But Satan doesn't do it to do God's will. He does it because he wants Job to fail. So the very same issue, a trial in the life by God for the purpose of building the faith is something that Satan often uses to cause us to be tempted to sin, to reject the lessons that God is trying to teach us and cause us to choose an alternative which causes us to sin. So that's why the word that's used in the Greek to describe these two terms are the same depending on the context because how we choose to respond to it can often be either a trial that leads to, to uh, greater faith or Satan can step in on that trial and, and tempt us to reject the lessons that God is trying to teach us and cause us to sin by turning our back on him. There's an important other truth here, and we gave the definition of a trial and temptation. Said a trial rightly handled enhances our walk of faith. Temptation wrongly handled impairs our walk of faith and causes us to sin. But here's an important element. God never tempts a believer to sin. God never tempts a believer to sin. His desire is not to trip us up. It's not for the purpose of seeing if we fall flat on our face, but rather to pass the test and, and come out better on the other side. If you can think of a test along the line of... Uh, a California 49er, 
And I don't mean the football team, I mean back those people who were chasing gold in the hills. They would go and they would dig up some, some ore and they would bring it into the assayer's office. What did they want to have happen with that, that metal, that, that, that stuff they brought in? They want to find out if there's gold in that. They want to have a positive outcome. And that's what a test would do. They weren't bringing it in to have it fail and say, yes, I hope it's nothing but pyrite. They want gold in, in that ore. And that's the nature of a test. When God brings a test into our life, he wants to show the gold of faith in our life. See, he wants to see in our life those things that are, are valuable. But James uses a strange word up front. He says, count it all joy. So this idea of counting is, is important for us to understand what it means. It means to stop and consider something. Now, if we encounter some problem, some issue, whether, like I said, a heat pump goes out or a battery dies or we have a flat tire or so, whatever it would be, our first response is, oh, no. You know, there's no joy in Mudville at that moment. <laughs> there's no joy at all. We're looking at it and we're going, oh, I didn't need this today. But, jo but James here says, count it all joy. And you go, how in the world can you do that? How can you count something joy? What does it mean? Well, when we count, what we do is we add in other factors other than the immediate situation that we're faced with. I mean, we have a flat tire. We're faced with a flat tire. It's not what we plan, not what we want. It's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us money. And it's going to give us aggravation. And none of those things sound like a good thing. But we need to take some things into account. And that's why James says, count it all joy. He says, I want you to consider something, some other aspects when you're faced with a trial, don't just look at the circumstances. Look at some of the elements that are involved in this trial. And I want to point out some of them. But first of all, I'll give you some examples. In Hebrews 11.11, 11, Scripture reads, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. In other words, she was barren. She couldn't have any kids. God said, you're going to have, you're going to have a great nation and it's going to come from you, Sarah. And she goes, yeah, right. The scripture records that while the circumstances looked dismal, they looked impossible for that matter, she added in a factor which changed the whole 
situation. And what she added into and what she factored into the situation was the promise of God. Promise of God says, you're going to have a child. You're going to be the start of this great nation. And so Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. She looked at the situation. It was bleak. She looked at the other circumstances, which included the promise of God. And she says, I believe. And she passed that test and had a child. It's the same word that's used in Philippians chapter 2. We're familiar with Philippians chapter 2 where it describes Jesus Christ leaving heaven and coming and becoming a man, becoming a servant, and then going to the cross. And this is what it says in Philippians 2.6, who, taking, speaking of Jesus Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he says, it's not essential that I hold into, on, onto this whole idea of godliness. I can become a man because we have a greater purpose. And that is for me to become a man and go to the cross to provide salvation. There's other factors that I need to factor in. And that's what James is talking about. This is when we encounter a trial, we have to factor in other factors in order for us to come up with a good response to a trial. Paul himself in Philippians 3 talks about doing some factoring himself. Remember, he was faced... Um, he was faced with the issue of a thorn in the flesh. And he beseeched the Lord. He said, oh, Lord, can you just get rid of this? You know, my ministry would be greater, more powerful. I, I could do so much more for you if I wasn't inflicted with this. And then he came to a conclusion. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Again, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them, I relegated them to the idea of rubbish because I found something superior than fame, fortune, power, influence. I found the relationship with Jesus Christ is more valuable. And I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So when we're faced with trials, what are some of the factors that we need to input into that trial so that we can come up with a right response to a trial when we're faced with it? Well, there are just some truths that need to be reviewed. It's not that we don't know these things, but at the moment of a trial, 
we have a tendency to focus on the trial and not on some of these issues, other issues. That's why James says we need to start talking about trials from the perspective of counting in and figuring out the other factors that go into this trial so that we can respond in the right way. First one, Psalm 139, 1 through 3, and that is God knows us intimately. So the trial that we've just encountered, whatever it is, did God know that we were going to face that? Yeah, duh, <laughs> for sure. Okay, in Psalm 139, he says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You searched out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Does that include the trials that we encounter? Absolutely. Absolutely. It says God knows us intimately. It doesn't stop there, though. He says we are loved. When we encounter a trial, we know that the context in which this trial happened is as a believer who is loved. Psalm 36, 7. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wing. In other words, we are cared for by this God who knows us and what we're going through. Third factor, we are secure in him. In other words, we didn't slip out of his grasp and somehow stumble into a trial that is going to do us in. Listen to these two passages, Rome, uh, John 10 first. Jesus is talking about and using the illustration of, of being the good shepherd. And he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Just a side thought here. If we're following in him and we step into some sort of trial, we were following him, weren't we? So the trial that we stepped into, he must know about. He says, they hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I've got a good grip. Jesus says, I've got a good grip on those who follow me. Romans 8.35 Paul writes, who shall, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And listen to this description. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Sounds like a trial that's come into our life, hasn't it? He says, what's going to separate us from his love? Nothing. Nothing. We're in his love. And he sees it. He knows it's coming. i got another one for you. And these are all factors we need to take into consideration when we're faced with a trial. 
like I say, it's not just the incident, that moment, but it's in the broader context of this relationship that we have with the living God. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I invite you to turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And the reason I do is because the word test is found in this passage. Remember I said, depending on the context, it could be testing or tempting. Well, in this context, Paul is spending a lot of time talking about temptation. And he comes down to verse 13 and he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Did I hear an amen there? Again? Think about it for a moment. Think about it. We've been talking about trials and God taking us through trials. He said, even the temptations that we entered into willfully and were tempted because of our own lusts and desires, which James talks about later in this chapter. He says, even those that were not set up as trials, God has provided a way of escape that we can escape committing sin, that you may be able to endure it. Now, if that's the case, if God promises to see us through every temptation, he will see us through every trial that he designed for us. Won't he? Of course so. One more factor to throw in. That trials... We need to keep this in our head when we're faced with them. Trials reveal our faith dependence on him. I was thinking about this this week, and I said, you know what trials do? They show us that we're not God. They show us we're not God. If, they, if we were God, we wouldn't let it happen, would we? But when they do come, it shows us whether we're depending on him or not. And the whole idea of a trial is to increase our faith. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes, so, keep me from, so to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, he says, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Some said, well, that's his eyesight or something. John MacArthur added an interesting twist on this. He says, no, did you see what it says? A messenger of Satan. He says, a troubling demon was given to Paul. I mean, he was indwelt, the one that harassed him. Interesting take on it. Yes. Always right there in your ear. <laughs> He says, to keep me from being conceited, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, he sh that it should leave me. But he said, 
My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. We've looked at that passage. We talked about Paul's thorn in the flesh. But I want you to insert in here the trial that you're facing. If you're facing a trial, the Lord's response is, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. You don't know how to face this. He's going to talk some more about that. He says, but I can empower you to get through this. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. In other words, he says, bring those things on. I was asking God to get rid of them. I don't want any more trials. How many want, want that prayer to be answered? Lord, no more trials. And Paul goes, I've changed my perspective now. Bring them on. Because the more you bring on, the more I see your power at work in me. And you go, Lord, I'm not sure I've quite attained that level of maturity in my life. That for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So now we come back to our passage in James. And in James, the first chapter, as he's talking about this, he says. I want to factor in all the elements that go into facing a trial. If it was just the circumstances, that would be one thing. But all these elements also are part of the equation. All these other factors need to be considered. And if I consider all these other factors, that I am loved, I am secure in Christ, that he knows exactly what I'm going through, that he will empower me and see me through to the other side, then I can face this trial with what? Joy. With joy. Joy is happiness that is dependent on Jesus rather than circumstances. In other words, I draw my joy from the fact that I am secure in Jesus Christ, not in the circumstances. Like I said, when we face with trials and we face with some circumstances that's something we would just as soon have avoided, we want to go, get me out of here. But I can be in the midst of a trial and find my joy in Jesus Christ, even though I haven't quite gotten out of the trial yet. Now, if that's the case, it puts a whole different perspective, and that's what he's talking about. He says, I want you to count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. And the rest of the verse goes, Next two parts, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. In other words, when you're tested, 
and you respond to it rightly, it builds endurance in your spiritual life. I came up with a phrase uh, as I was thinking about this that uh, we are becoming faith marathoners. <laughs> now, I've given up running for my life. <laughs> when I was younger, I could run. Not well, but I could run. I never, ever in my life considered being a marathon runner. Never. Not appealing at all. But you have to admire somebody who can do it. You look at them and you go, wow. They can keep going and going and going and going. And going some more. And that's what Paul is talking about when it comes to our faith life. That we become those where our endurance in the spiritual life becomes greater and greater and greater and greater. So trials are not hardships to slog through, but occasions for believers to develop an enduring faith. An enduring faith. We haven't even hardly got out of this first section here. Let me read these three verses and we'll bring it to a conclusion for today. He says, let steadfastness then, this enduring faith, have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The idea of perfect and complete go together and that means fully mature. That you might be fully mature. That you know you just know trials are coming. They're coming. No dodging them. They're coming. But you also know that the Lord will see you through them if you trust him. And so going through them then is something I can have joy in him. I said, I'll be faced with them. Yes, I won't like the problem, but I know that the Lord is with me in him, in this, and I can grow my faith through this. That's why Paul would say back in, in 1 Corinthians, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest in me. By the way, that's what faith life is all about. It's not in our strength. I'm going to become a better Christian. No, you're not. This what you're going to do is become a better truster. You're going to trust the Lord better better and better. So this is our introduction to, to trials. I'm not encouraging to go out looking for one this week, but I'm not saying that you'll bypass them either. You may be in the midst of a trial right now. It says, and, and James encourages then to stay, factor in all these factors, and then count it joy because you're going to face it in him. And having faced it in him, you will come out better on the other side. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, none of us like this topic. 
None of us want to be tested. None of us want to go through a trial. But we know that we will. Give us the wisdom that James speaks of. That we would count it all joy. That we would add in all these factors about how you care for us. And how you'll be with us. And how you'll see us through it. And therefore we can have joy. Because we know that as we trust you. You will build our endurance, and that will move us to maturity. And we'll give thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.